It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. We've got a good one in store today. Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk to the author of the new book, The Selfish Giant. Benjamin Berkeley will be joining me. In the middle of the show, the second hour, we're going to talk with uh, M.D. and author Kevin Krenitsky who is the uh, author of a uh, forthcoming book, The Still Point, The Simplicity of Spiritual Enlightenment. But first, we're going to um, talk about China. Um, I know a lot of attention is being focused on uh, Russia and Ukraine, and and uh, China is not getting a lot of attention from most people, but there are some, including my guest this hour, who is the former Beijing correspondent for Newsweek, who spent six years living in China, and he has a uh, new book out uh, from early this year, America's Second, How America's Elites Are Making China Stronger, and he joins me by phone. His name is Isaac Stonefish. Isaac, good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for having me. Um, let me... You know, I, I used to make a joke. Here in Flint, Michigan, we had an emergency manager. It was kind of like being in receivership. And I thought, you know, it was kind of funny because the state was running a deficit, the feds were running a deficit, but we had an emergency manager. And I, I used to... I, I joked about... Um, if we if we followed this all the way up the chain, if we ended up with an emergency manager in Lansing, Michigan, um, or an emergency, you know, what would happen if the federal government had to have someone come in and do oversight? Who would do it? China, <laughs> and, um, and 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 we used to joke about the Chinese investment in the U.S., but you don't in your book. So the book looks at some of the negative ways that Beijing and the Chinese Communist Party have influenced the United States over the last several decades and how to push back against that influence without being McCarthyist or racist. How do you, um, you draw a distinction between China and the Chinese Communist Party? How come? I think it's a natural, oh yeah, so I think it's a natural distinction that there's so much difference that we can see in the United States 
between, say, the people who are elected from a party that we don't agree with or a particular local politician we feel like really doesn't represent our values. And it's really the same thing in China, but only so much more so. There are less than 100 million members of the Communist Party. It sounds like a large population, but it's also less than 7% of the total amount of people in China. And it's so important as we have this conversation to be focused on the party and not lose sight of the differences between the party and the people in China. Now, I happen to see in some notes about your book that uh, the... Um, and and I'm old enough to remember this, the 50th anniversary of Nixon's opening of China or his trip to China, as it was called at the time, um, is coming up uh, very soon. And how have things changed in this last uh, in this last 50 years since China has has been opened up? been quite a change. So as I detail in my book, America Second, there's been three distinct periods, and then the fourth that we're on right now. So the first from 1972 to the fall of the Soviet Union and the Tiananmen Square massacre in 1989 was, we have to work with China to push back against the Soviet Union. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And then after images of the massacre were broadcast in televisions across the United States, the business community and the political community needed another reason to engage with China. And so they thought, ah, okay, well, trade will liberalize. If we bring economic prosperity to China, they will naturally democratize. That, as we know, didn't work. Third period, roughly 2005 to 2016, 2018, was, well, we're going to make China into a responsible stakeholder of the global system. Now, China didn't want to be a responsible stakeholder in the global system built in large part for U.S. interests. And so now we're in this new period, this Cold War, not Cold War, cyber war, trade war, that is looking radically different from the periods before it. You know, there's been so much investment by China in the U.S., um, in, in a variety of different ways, but their foray into uh, social media, and I'm, and I'm trying to find in my notes which one it was they, they invested uh, in or bought. Um, the biggest one we're seeing now is through TikTok, which is entirely Chinese-owned and is such a phenomena among teens across America. But you caution that there's uh, there's um, a security concern because of access to information. There really is, and, and, and TikTok's such a funny one because it's AI, big data, it's all these new technologies that we haven't really figured out what the security risks are. And the issue for a lot of these things is not, oh, we have concrete proofs that... TikTok is doing X, Y, Z, and that jeopardizes U.S. national security interests. But we know enough about how China works to know that if Beijing were to say, hey, TikTok, we need you to do this because we're worried about the United States, TikTok would have to comply. It seems, 
hard for me to sort out, and, and maybe you could um, comment a little bit. I, I've been concerned that young people, because of social media, and not just young people, but largely young people, have they don't have any appreciation for or experience with privacy. It, it doesn't seem to be as much of a concern. And I'm concerned when, you know, because of the issues you raise in your book um, with regard to this purchase of TikTok and, and a way in, that the lack of, of um, concern or, or value of privacy um, rolls over into security. How can we have, how can we have secrecy if we don't have privacy? That's a great point. It's, it's so hard to know. You know, I think I'm maybe midway between the younger generation and, and the older generation, and it's hard to know which values shifting deserve to be shifted and which ones we need to hold on to. I consider myself a, a fairly private person, but I'm also very used to posting on Twitter and on LinkedIn and on Facebook and seeing nothing wrong with, with telling a personal story to thousands of people that I don't know. And I think the intersection for national security feels, in my mind, less about what people are posting publicly and more about what they're posting privately, and that they have this sense internally that, oh, I'm going to send this picture or photo, and oh, so I'm using Grindr, the gay dating app, and I can put this picture up that I think only a limited number of people are going to see, but actually because of the way the internet works and because of where Beijing plays into this, people have access to it, and it's not as private as people imagine. There is so much talk um, about the trade between the U.S. and China, and, and it, it keeps coming up over um, supply issues and and shipping delays and and all of these kinds of things um, but but also the the trade imbalances where are we in terms of who's who's getting the the better end of the of the deals that exist between the US and China economically I think it's various sectors in both countries are getting the better or the worse end of the deal. And what's happened with trade with China until very, very recently was that it was exacerbating wealth divides in the United States. The rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. And you know now we're seeing something that's hitting the middle class because of all the supply chain disruptions. We saw that during the height of the pandemic with the difficulty in getting masks because Beijing didn't want to ship them to the United States. And now we're seeing it with a lot of consumer products, cars, televisions. And it's a really concrete reminder to many Americans that, hey, what's going on in China and America's relationship with China 
is really impacting my day to day because, you know, I want to get my new SUV or I want to get my new flat screen and I can't because the supply chain is so snarled. How fickle are relationships between the U.S. and China? There's, there's always this sense that um, if we raise tariffs, for example, that somehow that's that's going to um, put us on a on a footing toward war or something. Um, are are the Chinese able to? separate politics from economics in in a way that we don't often credit them for? Chinese people, yes. The Chinese Communist Party, no. So <laughs> Beijing wants us to think... <laughs> Beijing wants us to think that they're so incredibly sensitive to slights that we have to be so careful about trade tariffs or the way we talk about Taiwan or the way we talk about the genocide and the far western Chinese region of Xinjiang. But there is a lot more flexibility within the party than the party chooses to see, and it's really just a negotiating tactic. Is, is there a, um, a geopolitical similarity between Taiwan and Ukraine? There is, and I, I think the, it's great that you brought that up. The, the similarity is that Russia has long seen Ukraine, or certain Russians have long seen Ukraine as, as part of Russian territory. Beijing has long claimed Taiwan. And I think what the important message today is that for those who invest in China, for those who engage with China, we've seen how quickly investors and companies have fled from Russia in the face of Russian atrocities in the Ukraine. And it's very possible that China does the same thing in Taiwan or at the very least tries to. So I encourage folks to have an understanding of that and understand that, oh gosh, they might need to leave China and they might need to leave their Chinese investments very quickly if China decides to invade Taiwan. Why hasn't China invaded Taiwan? Why haven't there been incursions into Taiwan over the last several decades? So there have been several what are called Taiwan Straits crises, but you bring up a good point. It's something Beijing has wanted for so long. Why haven't they done more about it? And there are two answers to that. One is Beijing would prefer to win the battle without firing a shot, so to speak, and get Taiwan to rejoin the mainland on its own will. And as time passes, that feels more and more unlikely, making it more and more likely for Beijing to do military means or start a war. And the second is the United States. The United States has enough of a commitment to defend Taiwan. They, they keep the position ambiguous, but there's enough of a chance that they would do it. And China doesn't seem to want to get into a war with the United States. Isaac, I have to take a short break here, but this is a, a fascinating subject. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Yes. Okay. My guest is uh, Isaac Stonefish. He's a former Beijing correspondent for Newsweek and the author of America Second, How America's Elites Are Making China Stronger. And uh, we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well.
Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? So when it comes to protection... 
Go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with um, former Beijing correspondent for Newsweek and author of a new book called America Second, How America's Elites Are Making China Stronger. He is Isaac Stonefish. He joins me by phone. Isaac, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Thanks, Tom. No worries. Um, I, I'm I'm not exactly sure how to formulate this this question, but I'm I'm interested in finding out your observations about how free marketers fare in the Chinese economy. There are no true free marketers in the Chinese economy. There are people who want that to be the case. I'm thinking of American businesses that run business in in China. They're not free marketers when they're there. They <laughs> have to deal with the reality of the Chinese economy. And they might feel that the invisible hand is the way for an economy to run. And they might be full subscribers to that in the United States, but they just can't do it in China. They would get eaten up immediately. So they compromise. Well, uh, what is the... Um is is it easier for chinese businesses to operate in the us in a free market environment than it is for american businesses to operate in china i would say that's true especially true now with beijing's severe overreaction to covid has all but ground the economy to a halt in certain cities i, I think the issue is that on the one hand china's economy has grown so rapidly over the last several decades especially in the 2000s and that you know rising tide lifting all boats kind of idea made it easy for some companies to make a lot of money but it was always incredibly difficult and there's a lot of rules there's a lot of unwritten rules there's a lot of rules that get very spottily applied and that has led to some really really big headaches for U.S. companies trying to make their way there. Yeah, I just I just wonder how um, Chinese and American economic interests um, are compatible. They were more compatible in the 2000s and in other parts of the 2010s, but do have to remember that in China politics dominates and. Beijing is far more worried about national security and its new blend of socialism than it is about economic growth. And and how would you describe American business and politics? Does politics dominate here or is it the other way around? So is that what an old automotive CEO said, you know, 
the business of America is business. I, I think it's a much more of a blend here. Sometimes business dominates, sometimes politics dominates. And it's it's a more much more of a tug of war. Is the I'm trying to think, you know, we, we joke in, in this country about having the best government that money can buy. But I, I guess what I'm curious about is the um, corruption. Generally, in the U.S., people follow the money. In in China, when they're corrupt, there's corruption, is it also about money or is it more about power i think in both the united states and china it's about money and power uh, you know there's some power that money can buy there's some money that power can buy but people who tend to be corrupted tend to want both and in chinese corruption cases we'll often hear of you know, sacks of cash and million dollar bribes and we don't know if they're true we hear what the Communist Party says about them, and we have some documentation, but it's so difficult to know what is actually happening because we're reading about this in state-controlled media. Oh, and I meant to tell you when we came back from break that the, the um, it was Grinder that I was trying to remember. That um, ah, gotcha. Because you open um, with with an anecdote about Grinder, and and you point out that there's this huge security risk because of that and um that was the one i was trying to think of anyway moving on um the title of the book is america second is america second or if not how close are we to becoming second I don't think America is second. And the, the reason why I titled the book America Second is because I feel like we really need a national conversation about what we want to do with the rise of China. How important is it for Americans to maintain their exceptionalism? How important is it for America to be the world's most powerful country? Not that important, then why not yield? If it is very important, what are we going to do about it? And and what about the the idea that um, U.S. dollars are are slipping as the go-to currency in global markets? So we're lucky that the U.S. currency remains fully convertible, and China has a lot of currency restrictions because of the way that it controls its economy. So it does feel like, at least for the near term, the U.S. will maintain dollar dominance, but if Beijing does decide to really liberate its capital markets, it is possible that that could start changing. What are your biggest concerns, Isaac, about uh, ongoing U.S.-China relations? I'm worried about a war between the United States and China over Taiwan or potentially over Japan. I'm worried about a proxy war if... Beijing decides to further militarize islands in the South Sea, the EC, and start seizing other countries' territories. I'm worried about the way that some people in this country discriminate against Chinese and Chinese Americans. And I'm worried about what the Chinese Communist Party is doing to its own people. 
the lockdown right now in Shanghai is so unbelievably cruel. It's one of the wealthiest cities, the wealthiest city in China, and people are starving because they don't have access to food. I, I think it's so inhumane. You know, we've ever since the Cold War, it's always seemed as though um, there there was this really thin line um, separating uh, Russia and the U.S. when it comes to a potential war, and, and it, it it has never really felt that way with China until fairly recently. How did that emerge? A lot. Part of it was new leadership in China under Chairman Xi Jinping. Part of it was how large China's economy grew and what that meant for its ability to push back against U.S. interests in Asia. And then part of it was what's going on right now in the northwest Chinese region of Xinjiang, where there's an active genocide against the Uyghur people who live there. And I think that woke up in the minds of many Americans some of the real awful crimes that this regime is able to commit. It, it, it felt distant from the Tiananmen Square massacres in 1989 and from the depredations of Mao Zedong, who ruled from 49 to 76. That felt to many Americans in the past, but awful things are happening in the present. How do the Chinese view American leadership, especially in view of the fact that we turn over executive leadership so frequently? So one of the wonderful things about China is there's such a diversity of viewpoints. And you know, different Chinese will have radically different viewpoints of the leadership. The party seems to like to point out to American democratic transitions as a weakness as opposed to a strength. But they also like to pretend that they have more democratic elements in their own system than they do. So they must see something good with it. I just wonder if they if they uh, if it affects their their strategic thinking at all. For example, if if they don't like working with uh, Joe Biden, they wait for eight years and work with somebody else. I think there's a lot less long-term thinking in the party than we give it credit for. They'll make and announce these five-year plans, but then they'll change them pretty drastically in their implementation. And I think that's a strength as well. If you have to be so planned of an economy, your economy will be far less successful than China's is. But I, I do think they are aware of lame duck presidents and the ability, you know, if, if Biden loses in 2024 to wait out his successor a couple months or to try to work with one party and use that relationship to push against the other party. There's been a lot of speculation about uh, Vladimir Putin's uh, motive, uh, motives uh, rather for his launching an attack on Ukraine. There's there's this sense that that Putin would like to see a return to the former Soviet Union. Do you have any? Uh, sense of what China's goals are? 
China's goals are to distract the United States so it can continue to grow in Asia and so it can feel like the United States is not trying to influence it negatively domestically. And so the longer the war lasts and the less that China gets blamed for being a party in the war or spreading Russian propaganda, the better it is for China. So they're not likely to uh, take sides in that particular conflict? Oh, they'd love to take sides, and they're much more sympathetic with the Russian side than the Ukrainian side. They just don't want to be seen as taking sides. So if, if they can walk that line and take sides while also being, to, being able to plausibly deny that they're taking sides, then they're in a very good place. You know, there was a... Um in George Orwell's book, 1984, there were three big powers. And a lot of people, when they would analyze the book, would compare them to the U.S., Russia, and China. And and there was this phenomenon that happened where two countries would align against the third. And then they would switch and the power would all shift. Is that going on in in real geopolitics uh, in the world today? Russia is so much weaker than the United States and China and really seems to be a declining power as opposed to the United States and China. And this feels much more like the last gasp of a declining power as opposed to the beginning of a great rejuvenation of the Russian nation. These things are always so difficult to predict, but I do feel like that dynamic did in some ways explain or predict what happened between China and the United States vis-a-vis -vis Russia. But there's such a huge differential in terms of the power of these countries, and I think that's important to keep in mind. Has that been, uh, that that decline in, in Russia, um, something that happened as a result of the breakup of the, the former Soviet Union? Yes, and also the weaknesses of the Soviet Union itself. I, I think the world thought the Soviet Union was a lot stronger than it was, and especially in the 80s. There was a lot of signs of collapse or imminent collapse that people missed. And again, hindsight is twenty twenty, and if I were active around then, I wouldn't be able to see them either, most likely. But I think they do have a lot to do with long-term trends, Russia's aging population, its declining population, bad leadership for so long. Those are all issues that have really made a big difference. What opportunities are there for the U.S. to um, improve relations with China? I think once Beijing decides to take COVID from a less paranoid perspective, there will be opportunities for U.S. individuals to regain relationships with Chinese people. And I'm always hesitant when people use the phrase people-to-people -people diplomacy because it's a specific Communist Party phrase that means something different than people think. But I do really miss all of the opportunities to engage on a person-to-person -person level, I do miss the opportunities to go to China, uh, which I can't do and which a lot of people can't do because of the way the politics have evolved. 
And I also worry about the concept of improving relations because Beijing successfully makes that seem like it's the U.S.'s fault that relationships have deteriorated as opposed to looking at what Beijing has done. So I think that the biggest opportunity will be when Beijing's political system either radically changes or evolves into something that is less oppressive. And who knows when that's going to be. When was the last time you were in China, Isaac? September 2019. And was planning to go back March 2020, but my timing was not good. <laughs> well, that that everybody's lives took a turn in March of 2020. Um, yeah. The... What are you... What are you doing now that the the book is out? I mean, aside from promoting the book, what's what's next for you, Isaac? Thanks for asking. So I run a company called Strategy Risks, and we're a risk consultancy. And we help companies and organizations and sometimes individuals mitigate and reduce their China risk. So help them follow U.S. laws in China, help them understand about the political ties between what they're doing and the Chinese Communist Party and how to push against that in a way that's financially viable for them. When you were in China, uh, we see this a lot in, in Japan, this this um, trend of becoming more and more Western in dress and behavior and, and so on. Is any of that happening in China? It did happen in the 80s and 90s, and there still are huge cultural imports into China from the United States, but it doesn't feel like they're moving in that direction. And I think in this case, I would also you know, say that China's moving in a direction that's more communist and more dominated by the party, as opposed to moving in a direction that's sort of less Western or even less Chinese, less Japanese. That's the big influence on the party, uh, on the people. And it's something that's new. You know, the party's only ruled China for, what, one and a half, two percent of Chinese history. So it's a, it's a very small drop in the bucket. What constitutes um, success or, or progress to uh, the Chinese Communist Party? Further control over all aspects of Chinese life, further economic growth, further stability, further influence in countries around the region and the world. Um, what about culture? The party has a very specific sense of culture and how arts should serve the party and should serve the masses and should seek to express positive truths about what China and the Communist Party are. And it's been sad to see a withering of other aspects of Chinese culture as Chinese artists and directors and writers but against censorship controls and decide, hey, it's just not worth it, and self-censor to extreme degrees or 
know, work in PR or make propaganda films. What about religions in China? What um, what are the religions in China, and how how do they fare? There's been a big flowing of Christianity over the last several decades, which in some ways the party feels is threatening because it's a it's a it's a different power structure, so to speak. There has long been a very strong Buddhist tradition that's having some sort of a revival, and then also a tradition of Taoism, which is far less prevalent today, but still exists. And then there are tens of millions of Muslims in China, and they've been facing a, a really severe crackdown, in some cases a genocide, depending on what type of Muslims and what region they're in. This is um, this is fascinating, and and I feel like we could talk about this for hours, Isaac. And I appreciate you spending this time with me this morning, with me and the listeners. Um, the book is called America Second: How America's Elites Are Making China Stronger. Um, we we still have a couple of minutes left, and I and I want to get to that that point about America's elites making China stronger. How is that? Um, you know, in, in 30 seconds or so, how is that playing out? So for so long, so many prominent Americans, especially former top government officials, would act in ways that strengthen China's interests over that of the United States. And sometimes they knew about it, sometimes they didn't. But what I'm very heartened to see is that there's a sea change in Americans' ability to tolerate that. And so there's a lot more scrutiny to what folks like Henry Kissinger and even former Secretary of State Al Haig had done and what Disney CEOs have done, what CEOs of other companies have done. So I'm heartened by the new trend that we're seeing. Well, Isaac, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website that you could share? Thank you. Yes, so I'm at isaacstonefish.com. The company is at strategyrisks.com. And the book America Second is available for purchase on various retail websites across the country and also in local bookstores. Well, Isaac, thank you so much for spending this uh, this time with me. Is there another book in the works? Ooh, <laughs> not right now. I'm taking a long break from writing after <laughs> this one, but I'll I'll certainly let you know what what comes next. Well, please do, and uh, and by all means, Isaac, uh, thanks again, and keep up the good work. Well, thank you. Thanks for the chat. All right, take care. Okay. That was uh, Isaac. Stonefish, uh, former Beijing correspondent for Newsweek. He spent six years living in China. He is now the CEO of the research firm Strategy Risks, which quantifies corporate exposure to China. And his uh, new book is America Second, How America's Elites Are Making China Stronger. Just uh, came out a little earlier this year. Um, we are going to uh, take a short break. we got lots of uh, the Tom Sumner program yet to go, uh, so I hope you'll stay with us. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are WFOVLP, 92.1 FM Flint, Our Voices Radio. Um, 
They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. And uh, we're going to... Um, we also, uh, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There's more of the Tom Sumner Program coming up straight ahead. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Flip Flip Technology. 
Vermont Community College. It's pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Now, i uh, tell you this, this story. When, this is a game that we played when we, were, when we were kids, and it's called Buck Buck. We played it in Philadelphia. Buck Buck. Now, you people out here on the West Coast probably know nothing about it. Uh, in New York, it's called Johnny on the Pony and other things. It's where five, uh, five kids line up you see, and they bend over, they're in a straight line, they bend over, and one kid grabs a fence or a wall or a pole, holds on to that, the next kid puts his right arm around his waist, you see, bends over, tucks his head under, and you got five guys lined up exactly like that. So they all look like a long horse. Now, the object of the game is that one at a time, one by one, kids come running up and they say, buck, buck, number one, come in, and they run up, leap in the air, and they land on the horse. And they keep going, bam, 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 until they collapse the horse, you see. Now, that's the object of the game. Then you count the, how many kids you held, and you, you go back and forth, you see. Now, we had the champion buck-buck team of the world. When I tell you we played buck-buck, there was nobody that whipped us anywhere, man. And you can tell kids that play a lot of buck-buck because they're built like this, you see. And their legs are only four inches long. That's all they have, because they've been crushed so much. <laughs> So we're around there practicing, buck, buck, number five, landing on each other. Some kids come down from the rough part of town, and they're really tough, man. They got toothpicks on the side of the mouth, and a hat on sideways, and they got their pants on backwards, you know, <laughs> just rebelling against everything, you know. And they said, listen, we're here, you're supposed to be so tough, we challenge you to the buck, buck championship of the world. So we said, all right. So I line up, turkeys. So we line up, five of us, whack. They start sending kids down. Buck, buck, number one, come in. They feel pretty heavy, man. We check them out. Guys have rocks in their pockets to make them way heavier, you know. And buck, buck, number two. Now they get up to 300 and it's really heavy. Buck, buck, 300, come in. Now they're on top of us, piled all the way up to the sky, and they're rocking back and forth. Hold on, Harold. I can't do it no more, guys. Come on, hold on. Buck, buck, 400, come in. We collapse. All right, how many did you hold? We held 400 of your guys. Well, that was pretty good, but we usually hold around 600. <laughs> All right, we line up. They line up. Send the first kid down, old weird Harold. All right, Harold. Buck, buck, number one, come in. <laughs> These guys are really cool. What was that? A mosquito? <laughs> you guys don't have no weight. Come on, let's go. Buck, buck, number two, come in. I landed a piece of paper. Somebody threw a piece of paper on top of me. Buck, buck, number three. That was nothing. 
four, five. We got the championship. All right, bring out your last man, you turkeys. Come on, bring him out. Come on out, Fat Albert. Fat Albert was the baddest buck-buck-breaker in the world. And he loved to hear us call his name. Fat Albert weighed 2,000 pounds. And he kicked the door to his house open. And you could hear him say, hey, hey. We built a little ramp for him to walk down so he could build up speed because he couldn't hardly run fast. And he was coming, hey, hey. And the ground was trembling. Trees falling over. Buildings losing pieces of brick. Parents taking kids off the street. Hey, hey, hey! And these guys are these what's the ground doing shaking, man? How come the ground shaking? So that's Fat Albert coming for you. Hey, hey, hey! And he turned the corner and he saw one leg. What is that? So that's Fat Albert. Hey, hey, hey! And they stood up. We give, he ain't falling on us. Now, I told you that story to tell you this one. Not now. Guys, guys in my neighborhood went to great lengths to scare anybody. Because it's a great thing when you scare somebody. They lose their cool completely. That's the only time when a human being is really himself. I mean, because if you scare somebody good, they just, the legs shoot out, the hair stands up, the eyes bug out, and they say, blah, blah. Yeah, see? And then you laugh. Ah, 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 that was really funny, man. You got so scared. Ah. So, guys found this statue, stole it, really. A statue of Frankenstein, five feet, eight inches tall, in color of the monster. Frankenstein monster. Ooh. They take it home, there's only three of them, take it home, they take it into an apartment building, put it up on the third floor landing, you see. Now they take out all the lights in the hallway, put in a pink one right by the monster statue. One kid gets behind it, they send another one out in the street, he calls a kid. They come running up, he passes the kid with the statue, taps him, kid with the statue, leans it. Kid that doesn't know anything about it turns around and kills himself running out of the building. You see, this is called fun. Because then you laugh at the guy. Boy, you were really scared, Red. You fell 12 flights of stairs. That was really funny. So, I'm coming home from the store about 8.30. No, I always have my music with me. I always have to hum my music because monsters cannot attack you if you have your music with you. See? Hey, cops! What? Come on over, man. You should see it. Herman's getting a beating. Let's go watch it. Herman? Yeah, I love to see Herman getting a beating. And I took man up. And I'm chasing after this guy. I can't wait, man, to see Herman getting the beat because I don't like Herman anyway. La, 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 la. And he goes up the second flight and says, Wait for me, man, wait for me. Don't go so fast. And he makes that turn around the third. And I make the turn. The guy takes a step. Out. I never touched one step. Ran two miles before I realized what had happened. When I turned around, they were right behind me laughing. Ah, 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 ah,
funny man. God, rolling, kicking the feet up in the air on the back. It was really funny, boy. You were really cool, man. You just lost everything. Just what? Your hair was standing up and everything. It was a... That ain't funny, man. You can kill somebody like that. Suppose somebody wouldn't look at that statue and your heart just stopped pumping right away. Or the guy would have just fallen down some stairs and hurt himself. That ain't funny. Yeah, but God, you just see yourself. It was really funny, man. You just went, true. Didn't even touch much of that, man. It's really cool, I'm telling you. <laughs> Listen, guys, now you got to get somebody. Yeah, that's right. Get up in the hallway. Get the statues up. Come on, we're going to get somebody. I'm going to scare somebody now, boy. It's going to just be me, I tell you that. I get somebody killed around here. It'll really be funny because when they leave that statue, they're like, oh, that'll be it for them. And I'm waiting outside. Is the thing up? Yeah, okay. Here we go. And wait, somebody's got to come sooner or later. I'm going to get somebody. And I hear off in the distance, Hey! Fat Albert. <laughs> I said, hey, Fat Albert, come here, man. You should see Herman. He's getting a beating. I like to see Herman get a beating. Now, Fat Albert is not too fast, see? So I run up and I grab my arm. Come on, Albert, hurry up. And I start hitting him behind the back. Hurry up, man. Did you see it before it's over? And we go up the second flight. I start laughing because I know what it is. And turn around. Come on, Albert. We get up to the third flight. And the guy's there. Oh. I forgot I was behind him. <laughs> they, uh, they took me to the hospital and they put me in a bed beside a wino who was run over by two kids. And we both agreed that uh, frightened children are really uh, hard to get along with. I never had a guy dance on me so long. And he was so scared he couldn't even get a hey. He was like, and just dancing right on me forever. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Staying here inside It's too dangerous out in the world I'll see you on the other side When I'm in my quarantine In my little place too high My heart is aching and I'm missing you I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side See you on the other side We're all in for a bumpy ride
Here. 